please, like if you get anything from this, it's go, do, make, don't be afraid, just try. Welcome to the Future Podcast. I'm Chris Doe, and joining me today is my excited co-host, Greg Gunn. How did you know I was so excited? I'm like parked behind this, this like soundproof barrier. You can't even see my face, but yet you guessed I was excited. I feel your energy, and I also remember you commenting, Adam JK, you're you're gonna interview Adam JK. I know who he is. Okay, that's that's the, how I know. That's true. I, I am a big Adam JK fan. He's one of my favorite people on Instagram right now. Yeah. Um, how did you guys meet? How do you even know this guy? Mm, we first met at Graphica Manila a couple years ago, and I saw him open up the event, and it was awesome. He brought so much good energy and wisdom and colorful design. I knew we needed to make some content together. You know, I've yet to see him speak, but from the little that I've heard, it, it's supposed to be pretty incredible. Um, was that a tough act to follow? How'd you feel about that? Luckily, there were a couple of days for the memory of his presentation oh, okay. to fade <laughs> so that I wasn't bothered by it at that point. But I have spoken, I guess they've never put us back to back, so I don't feel that pressure. But there is some friendly competition for sure, at least from my point. I'm sure Adam's like, whatever, rolling his eyes, like competition. He doesn't care. But I, I strive to do my best. And when I know Adam's speaking, it brings me to the next level. That's that's fantastic. And I, I think that's a, that's a healthy outlook, too. Um, so what did you guys cover today? Man, this was a roller coaster conversation. When you're in the room with Adam, you just go. It's part self-deprecating humor, brutal honesty with a little dash of optimism. If you follow him on Instagram, I think that's kind of accurate, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it's it's the best. That's like spot on. I, I think anyone that follows him is like, yes, I feel this too. Mm -hmm. I think there's something really cool about him that he's Canadian, but living in America and New York specifically. So he has this weird sensibility. He's a graphic designer, but mostly he writes. He's Jewish. He's a creative person. And he's got all that stuff rolled up in one. And when you when you listen to him speak and when you read his writing, you get a sense of all of that. So without further ado, Adam J.K., please enjoy. My name's Adam J. Kurtz, and everyone calls me Adam J.K. And basically, I'm a graphic designer who became an artist and author. So I started with design, and now I do a lot of other things that aren't design. Mm -hmm. Matthew, who attended one of your talks, he said that you said something on stage which, which really connected with him, that you're okay with calling yourself and referring to yourself as an artist. And that used to give you an allergic reaction. Can you tell me what that was about? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the word artist is really scary for a lot of people um, because it is so broad, and because you know we're we're sort of raised to think about artists as like Picasso or something. You know, art is like in a museum, and so if you're not in a museum, you're not an artist. But it's really up to all of us to define what art is. And for me, I think it is really just sort of creative expression. It's making a feeling, um, an intangible feeling into something tangible. It's communicating a feeling that you had in some way. Um, it's a response or a reflection to an experience. Really, art is, is so broad and almost everything is art. And 
once I understood that for myself, it became really liberating. An artist is just uh, is the easiest word for someone who makes and does a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Do you do you define that in any way or connect it or tie it to the idea that if you make art for someone else, that someone else is paying for it, then that moves you into commercial art? Or that's an old term, but uh, like what graphic designers do versus somebody who just has an idea, wants to express something and puts it out to the world. I mean, I think it gets dangerous when we start assigning labels and then like breaking them down mm-hmm. further and further. Um, because design is interesting where design is really sort of halfway between art and craft um, or art and craft and a trade. Um, but then also you said commercial art and and even fine art is commercial, right? Because people, you might do one painting, but it's still for sale. And then there's sort of this whole like fine art complex economy, however you want to describe it, where prints are being sold or artist monographs or the way work travels through museums and is used to bring people, like everything is commercial. Like we all have to exist in capitalism. So I find like it's often helpful to not get too hung up on the labels. And, okay. and part of that was was just accepting that artist is an okay label and, and, and not being hung up on it and not being scared of it. And when did you become comfortable with that term to describe yourself as an artist? I don't know. I guess a couple of years ago, maybe because mm-hmm. other people called me an artist first. And I was like, all right, that's fine. <laughs> okay. You didn't punch them in the face when they said that? I have never punched anyone in the face. <laughs> okay. I have to say for, for myself, I, I think maybe it's from my, my art school or my design school background. And I think it was one of my professors who told me that it's, and he said something like design is when you solve somebody else's problem and art is when you solve a problem of your own conception. And, and that's how I kind of stayed in that box for a really long time. And so it wasn't until I think almost two decades into my career, my life, if anybody had said, you're an artist, I would correct them. This is my version of punching them in the face. I'm like, no, I'm a designer. I make things for other people. I get paid to do that. An artist is like, like you said, Picasso and all these other people. It's not so much the the expression or even how much money they make selling the art, but the fact that they just go off on their own and they solve a problem. They want to communicate a feeling with the world that isn't other derived. It's self-generated. And I put that line pretty hard in the sand. But all that changed, I guess, a couple of years ago when I started making videos on the internet, where I was like, this is my form of art now. You might not think of it as art, but this is how I express my feelings and communicate to the world. Yeah. I mean, I think that is, that's sort of a case of, of a well-meaning educator um, saying something to you, which I don't disagree with. Um, mm-hmm. But then you really, you really accepted that as hard fact for a long time. And sometimes... Sometimes that happens with advice, right? As we we take advice at face value, maybe we don't understand the nuance or the context or the specific perspective. And, and we let that rule us or we let that impact us maybe more than the person who said it in the first place intended. And so mm-hmm. I don't totally disagree about, um, you know, client versus personal work. I think, I think there's something there. Um, and that's maybe not how I would say it, but I don't, mm-hmm. I don't disagree. And so when you tell me that for like two decades, you let that sort of like guide your understanding of yourself, that makes me that makes me kind of sad because mm. you've got all the tools and and you make stuff for yourself all the time. Um, you're often your own client, and so 
that definition kind of stops working. And I almost wonder like what, what else would you have made if you just started doing anything you wanted sooner? Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Although you're also killing it. So like, you're good. (laughs) (laughs) Like, no worries. You've arrived. (laughs) I wonder what would happen if I started my career that way. No, I mean, what I think is really wonderful about this message, and I think you do it so well, that you weave this line of empowerment and vulnerability and just being real, real about stuff that I think makes you such a unique voice in the world. And if people don't know you, you got to go check out Adam's account on Instagram and, of course, the books that he's authored. But it's at Adam JK. Go check him out on Instagram. And what you're going to see is sometimes they kind of like, sometimes it feels brooding, sometimes it feels optimistic, and but it's just very real and grounded. And tell me about how that process evolved, or, or not the process, but how did that work evolve from being a graphic designer to being an artist? I think that there was there was like a really intentional moment when it occurred to me that I could just make things. So, you know, as a designer, you learn the tools and skills and, you know, you learn about typography and hierarchy and layout and the, the most effective ways to communicate. And once you have those skills, you can communicate anything. And when we're doing client work, you know, we're, we're using communication skills to help our clients say what they want to say, which is often to sell something or, or brand something. Uh, but when you use those skills to communicate your own thing, I think that might be art. And for me, I had this moment of like, okay, I'm doing a lot of creative projects. Um, I'm doing a lot of marketing pieces or, or branding bits or event invites for friends or bands or, um, as an undergrad for, for sort of campus organizations, now it's time to make something for me. What do I have to say? And sometimes all I have to say is I'm scared. And if you haven't seen, you know, my books or what I do on Instagram, you're maybe hearing this and you're like, what the are you talking about? But, but actually sometimes my work is as simple as me very bluntly communicating a sentiment. Um, I'm afraid nothing matters. Mortality is real. Um, genuine fears, um, or conversely genuine optimism. Uh, and that takes the shape of social media posts or enamel pins or t-shirts or prints or, um, you know, pages from books. I am using my voice and applying it to as many different, uh, mediums as possible. Mm-hmm. Well, as someone who's for, for me doing this for a shorter amount of time than you in terms of expressing your genuine feelings and your fears and your optimism. I'm, I'm really curious as one creator to another, what, what's the spark? Like what compels you to get up and, and write something and post it? I'm, I'm curious about your process. I mean, I just feel a lot of things uh, mm-hmm. and I sometimes just need to get them out. And, and some of this is, is age. Like maybe I'm just like younger and stupider and then some of it is maybe <laughs> cultural. <laughs> Listen, I mean, maybe it's good that you took time because now you're f-ing smart. I, I've seen your piles of books on Instagram. <laughs> smart guy. Uh, I'm not. I'm not that smart. And and also, I think some of it is cultural. Like I, I'm Jewish. I grew up Jewish, mm-hmm. and we culturally tend to be a little bit more vocal, a little louder. Um, don't always. I mean, that's not to say I don't hold things in, but but. 
at least in my family, like we were much more free about what we were feeling and it was okay to just say something and say it loud. And a lot of my work is kind of like that. It's just like this guttural need to express something, even if it's stupid. Well, I love that about your culture. And if you're a representative of your culture, and if I'm a representative of my culture being Asian, uh, Vietnamese, American, first-generation immigrant, we were taught the opposite. You just bottled up your feelings. You put those things deep, deep inside that cave of yours. So I always admire people who can so freely express themselves. And just kind of like, for me, you're like a unicorn. I I notice also, just uh, to give some context, I won't get into the specifics, but when we're backstage and you're feeling uncomfortable about something, you'll just say it. Well, for me, I go through a lot. Of, you know, I go through yeah. a lot of processing. Yeah, and and I'm like, oh, how, what's the right way? Like, who's what's their intention? I, I try to really think about it a lot, and it may not come out of my mouth as true as the way you said it. And I think that's just wonderful. And I guess that's just differences. Not to say one is better than the other, but I admire what you're able to do from where I'm standing. I mean. Well, two things. First of all, it's like, I, I'm very real with you because I trust you. Like, we met and I was like, okay, I get it. I'm, I'm on board for this. Um, when we, we met at the Graphica Conference in Manila. And then definitely mm-hmm. when we were together in Australia this past year, I was like, oh, this is Chris. Like, I'm, I can just say it how it is. So I'm not like that with every single person. Um, okay. But also, I, I do really understand the cultural differences because my husband is the type two where he was raised to sort of bottle emotions up um, Mm -hmm. and really sit and stew. And I always have to drag stuff out of him where it's like, I know from his body language, like I know that he's mad at me, but I don't always know why. And so I'm like, all right, I know you want to process for 24 hours, but like, what if we just talk about it today? Um, Mm -hmm. so I'm always really, I have a lot of admiration for people who can be quiet and can think before they speak. Uh, I do a lot of my mental processing out loud. So I'm saying words and then as they're coming out, I'm like, do I agree with that? And, uh, Mm. I don't know if that's the best approach, Chris. (laughs) Uh, it's gotten me in trouble before. Yeah. Oh, okay. This is fascinating to me. Okay. So there's like mixed ethnicities here between you and your husband and his style. I mean, some, some Asians are very loud and some, some Caucasians, some Jewish people are very quiet and reserved, but here you guys are, you're doing your thing. Do you find it frustrating that he's not as communicative as you are? And does he find it frustrating? Like, Hey, Adam, can you just like, just be quiet for a little bit so we can just chill? I mean, it's been it's been uh, seven years now, so we've figured mm-hmm. a lot of those things out. But definitely, early on, it took a lot of time. And so when I met when I met Mitchell, I was like, "Oh, this dude is so chill. He's got life figured out. Like he's so at peace. He meditates and he does yoga." And it took me like six months to a year to figure out, like, "Oh no, like he's freaking the fuck out, but he keeps it inside." And you know, because we're we're partners because we're like doing life together. I can find ways to make it safe for him to just speak his mind where he doesn't have mm. to be guarded maybe at home um, or, or when we're together. And the opposite's true too, where Mitchell will be like, hey, Adam, some people are careful with their words so that they don't hurt people's feelings. Or, hey, Adam, maybe <laughs> you should read this book, Quiet, by uh, Susan Cain, I want to say. Um, mm-hmm. which is a book about about introversion. And 
you know, that's, I mean, that's every relationship, right? Whether it's romantic or, or friendships um, or family members as you get older or business partners, it's every two people always have to figure out how to coexist uh, in the most effective way. I, I want to get back to the the prompt idea. Like, do you feel compelled? Because we're we're both essentially self employed. We get to make what we want, and so some days we have good days, some days we don't. And do you have a, a habit or something that you do to make sure like you're you're kind of being creative, or you just do it do what your body and your mind tells you to do? Uh, I think that there's. I think there are different. Hmm. How am I trying to answer this? I think it's different when you are your own boss because sometimes you're doing the pure creative stuff and it's a lot of fun and you get in that mindset. And then other times you are doing business stuff and it's super boring, but maybe it fuels you to you find ways to enjoy it. So some days like there's a lot to do and I just have to do it. And other days I can just like sit down with, uh, you know, a sketchbook and a pencil and just like, goof around and then six months later like some of that goofing around ends up in a book um, or ends up as merchandise and those are the fun days the fun days where you're just like being an idiot um what i might call like the more creative or more like art art kind of days um that's always awesome but then you know some days you are spending an entire day trying to like streamline your e-commerce platform to synergize something and uh and that's part of it too like that's that's what we do we uh yeah being self-employed is not always the most fun and do you do this all yourself yes uh (laughs) i i am learning to delegate and Mm -hmm. for me 2019 has been a year of very intentional growth um where i've i've learned to let go of certain things so working with like an external fulfillment partner. So I'm not shipping all my own orders and Mm -hmm. working with a manager who negotiates speaking and brand partnerships and working with an artist wholesale vendor that handles, you know, selling my merchandise to smaller retailers. And so there's been a lot of learning to let go and, uh, and it's been really hard for me, but it has immediately paid off in more free time and frankly, more money. That's the beauty of delegation. It really is. I mean, you're, you're, rolling, like you're scaling a, your business. <laughs> spoken like a smart person who has uh, experience in the industry. <laughs> okay. A um, couple other things here. And I, I hope I'm not just splintering into a thousand parts because I'm, I'm trying to just listen to what you're saying, but I'm also thinking about the many conversations that we've had that I hope to like recreate in an organic way as possible for our audience because I think it's you have such a unique perspective. So when you write, when you write, is it like this labor or is this, yeah, that came out exactly the way I wanted and you just, it's, and it's a gift and you have that, or do you grind at it? I think it's somewhere in between. Um, mm. I can't say that I just like, you know, pencil a paper or, or hands on the keyboard, boom, here's an essay. Um, but I think, I think a lot of creatives can relate to this. It's really easy to execute once you have an idea. And you don't get ideas by sitting there with, you know, all 10 fingertips on the keyboard, or you don't just get an idea when you hold a pencil to paper. So I'm always thinking, I'm always kind of processing, and I might write lists of ideas. Um, For example, when I was working on my book, Things Are What You Make of Them, um, 
that's a series of essays. And those essays, they, I, I feel like the essays and things are what you make of them really did flow once I started writing them, but it, that couldn't happen until I knew what I wanted to talk about. So I think we're all always kind of ideating in the back of our heads. And then you're writing your ideas down and, you know, maybe you execute six months later, maybe you find a sketchbook three years later and you're like, ah, this idea, let's do this. Um, yeah, it's it's a process and it's not the same every time. Mm. Do you feel pressure to to continue to create content for your social channel? I know uh, you have at least two channels, right? Or two uh, <laughs> Instagram accounts? Uh, I have like seven I mean, Instagram accounts, which is... Oh my gosh. They're not all like updated all the time, but I find that yeah. like each of my books has its own account. Um, mm-hmm. And that's like five different things. And then I've got a personal account that's like more real life. Adam JK is a little bit more focused on like digestible content where I'm sort of like a, a, a mini media platform, but also trying to make mm-hmm. that more human. I don't know. Yeah. Sometimes it's work. Sometimes it's wow. work and, and it sucks. And so you just don't post for a while. Like I'll just go mm-hmm. like radio silent for five days and nobody notices because of the way that, you know, um, Instagram algorithm works and our feeds aren't chronological. So there's actually just never any pressure to post anything ever if you don't want to. That's very interesting. I didn't realize you had seven accounts. I knew of two, so I'm gonna have to look up your other ones. You don't have to. And I was just thinking. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. To me, they're more like, uh, they're more like just to hold basic information. You know what I mean? They're they're Mm -hmm. almost like like a single page website or like a digital business card where it's like, here's the book, here's some pages, here's a link to buy. And it's not something that I have to like keep working on. But, you know, if you if you're not present, like nobody can count you, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I like that. Okay, so I know that we both aspire to be uh, good public speakers, maybe even great public speakers one day and to be paid for public speaking. How did that evolve for you? And tell me about all your thoughts and feelings about public speaking. Do you like it? Do you hate it? Are you scared? Are you excited? I really enjoy public speaking now. Um, It's definitely one of those things where the more you do it, the better you get. Um, Mm -hmm. But also a really cool sort of life hack about being a public speaker is that you get booked to speak at these conferences and then you get to go to the conference. So you're paid or or maybe you're not paid, but you're invited. Um, But then you Mm -hmm. get to hear everyone else speak. And so you learn from people who have more experience than you or people who have different experiences than you. And so after the first few times, I was really gaining a lot of insight into what I think works, what maybe doesn't work, um, what seems to work, but I hate it and I never want to be like that. Like all of these sort of personal uh, insights that we gain. And I sort of came to the conclusion that I want to be honest about my experience and genuine in the lessons I've learned along the way, but I don't want to present myself as an expert in the industry, um, despite being an international best-selling author of design and creativity books. And I don't want to be too serious because mm-hmm. I'm not a serious person. And, you know, JK is literally in my name. Uh, and I feel like I've been making good on all of that. I'm, I'm very honest. I'm, I'm more real in those spaces than I am anywhere else. Like I'm saying stuff on stage that I have never posted on social media before. Um, and it's, it's been really fun. It's really rewarding to see people's faces, to make people laugh, 
Um, or to see that sense, like you can see it come over someone's face when they look at your work and they're just sitting there like, oh my God, like I could fucking do that. And it's like, yeah, you can. I, I would love for you to do your thing. Like, don't copy me exactly, but please, like if you get anything from this, it's go, do, make, don't be afraid, just try. And that's something that I really love about your lectures, Chris, is that they're super actionable. Because you go to conferences and you hear a lot of people who will will share their work and it's award-winning work and like very smart, very clever and inspiring work. But then there's almost like not a specific takeaway. And maybe the takeaway is like, be more cool like me. Or the takeaway is, ah, oh, you should have gone to the school that I went to. And right. that's not actionable. So I love that, you know, for me, I'm trying to just let people know Things are what you make of them. Use what you have. Do what you can. It's okay. Anything's possible. And I love that the times I've seen you speak, it's been very like, here's how to do this. Here's the resources. I'm giving you everything I have. Here's the link. Like, I'll email you the file. Like, you're so open about that. And and also really open about money and making money because that's important and we need it to live. Um, but a lot of speakers kind of gloss over it. I, yeah, I think within the creative community, there's still some apprehension about talking about money for a lot of different reasons, uh, fear of being judged, um, jealousy, or just am, am I bragging what, what's happening? So there's there seems to be a very small pocket where people actually feel comfortable about it. And in a way, I'm, I'm, I'm glad because it gives me an opportunity to do something a little different and be very transparent. So there's very little now that um, I won't tell somebody that if I think it's going to help them, I will just say it at the risk of anybody throwing judgment at me. I'm at that, I'm beyond that stage. That's what you get with age, right? I so. don't even think it's just age. I think that's what you get with success, where a lot oh. of people, a lot of people hoard their resources because they are afraid of competition. But at a certain mm -hmm. point, you wake up and you're Chris and you're like, fuck it, like, I'm, <laughs> I'm okay. And I'm not in danger yeah. of losing that, you know? Like you've built, yeah. you've built these resources, you've built teams, like you've got mm -hmm. people that you work with, like that's not going to disappear just because you tell someone like what typeface you used on a project, right. um, especially <laughs> because the answer is often Helvetica. So that's just a free answer. That's uh, <laughs> one of two answers. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. I, but I, I think for a lot of creatives, it is scary to, to share the resources super, super freely. Um, yeah. You know, even for me, like I am pretty open, but like, I do get emails that are like, tell me your exact printer. And I'm just like, mm, I don't know you, so probably not. Mm. Like I get emails yeah. that are like, how do I do exactly what you did? Like, what is your editor's email at Penguin Random House? Like, I want to email her. <laughs> and I'm just like, you didn't even Google first. Yeah. So it's, okay. there's different approaches, but... Yeah, I love how yeah. transparent you are. And it's polarizing at these conferences. I mean, because I'll yes. be sitting in the audience and you hear people being like, who the fuck is this guy who made more than a million dollars? And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I would like a million dollars. Like, what's wrong with like, I'm looking at people next to me. I'm like, what's wrong with you? Like, do you not need to pay rent? Like, are you not on this planet? Like, do you do you want to perish in capitalism? Like, I'm trying to make it through this <laughs> Oh my God. Okay. So I didn't, I didn't know that. I, I know I'm polarizing and I can be, and especially around subjects of money, uh, people feel like it's gross to talk about it. 
And I'm, I'm just curious, like when people say like a million dollars, are they saying like you shouldn't charge that much or, or that's too much for what I like? I don't, I don't deserve it. Like what is their no, thinking? I, like, I, I mean, I'm not being specific. So like, yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm sort of like paraphrasing and yeah, yeah. slapping together uh, things that I feel like I, what am I trying to say? Like picked up on, but no, I mm-hmm. think, I think it's just so different because even like when you go and hear like the biggest, most famous designers, like they're never talking about money. It's 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 no. almost like nobody does it, um, and so I think it's just shocking. I think people. I, I think it's shocking because you go to the conference thinking like, um, and not every conference, but often these conferences are feeling they feel like inspiration day. Like I'm coming to be inspired, and yeah. and no one is quite so real. Um, and even when I talk about money, I'm not like here's my annual income. It'll be like you know specific to like one goofy project or one fuck up or um right. i'll talk about i'll talk about payment for social media posts and like influencer life um mm-hmm. yeah i i think it's just shocking because so much is status quo and i think you represent a bit of an outsider's perspective like your way in uh and i think me too like mm-hmm. i think that we are both outsiders in a way but then from wildly different perspectives Yes. I'm going to take this moment to tell everybody that if you haven't seen Adam speak yet, I highly encourage you to go to his next event, but also to check out, there must be some videos available online. Like I saw one from 99U. Yeah. So check it out. I mean, you have this way and, and I, I hate you. I'll, I'm going to just be upfront. I hate you because I like to, to, be, to shine and then I can't outshine you because you're on stage, you're doing your thing, you're being very vulnerable. You have everybody laughing from, from beginning to end. I'm like, God, how do you top that guy? And it's like, and you have your bits, you really perform on stage, which I wish more creative people who, who endeavor to speak would try to treat it like that versus just like look at your PowerPoint and just present. Yeah. People it's really forget, boring. people forget that, um, your talk is a project. And so the same way that you approach a creative project, you need to approach your talk, your slides, the structure, it's, it's work and not everyone who's great at making art is going to be a great speaker and not everyone who speaks well is a talented artist. That's, there are some people who speak way more than they make original work. Um, right. and that's, that's okay too. You might be a really good speaker, like being a speaker, that is a job. Um, I think it's cute that you, that you sort of said you hate me in a way. Cause I feel like we definitely have frenemy energy like big frenemy energy, <laughs> EFD. Uh, but I really like it. Like, and I, I wasn't yeah. like blowing smoke up your ass before. Like I, I genuinely trust you. Like I did kind of right away. Um, mm-hmm. I am just like that. I think I make snap judgments of people. And if I, yeah. if I'm like, this is a good person, like you're in, there's not like a series of checks and balances. It's not about like over the years we've, into, it's just like, yeah, you're, you're good. Um, <laughs> Yeah. But I think we really are so different. And I I like the way that we've been informed by each other's work because I've definitely seen stuff that you do and be like, oh, this is, this is fucking smart. Like when you, um, in Australia, so Chris, I don't know if Chris does this every time if you're listening, but Chris did a thing at his talk where at the end of the presentation, he played all the slides really quick. So you could take a video and pause at any time and read all those slides anytime you wanted. And I saw that and I was like, 
this is insanely smart. Like, this is the smartest. Like, I feel like you innovated. I was like, you know what I mean? It's like, there's only so many different ways to give a talk. And that was the smartest thing I'd seen anyone do in a long time. And immediately I was like, all right, I'm doing it. And my slides are a lot less useful than yours because the slides themselves are very simple, but I still got people filming them every time. Uh, And then it's, it's just the best business card of all time. Mm. That that was really fun to do. That was the first time. Thank thank you very much. That (laughs) that was the first time I had done that really. And so I've only done it once after that. And I was just like, huh, I, I need to keep thinking about this. And I'm like you, when I'm in the audience, I'm looking at what people are doing to say like, oh, I like that. I'm going to borrow that. And they did that really well. Or that slide looked really amazing. So maybe that can inform what it is that I'm doing. And I think that's really cool. And then there's things that people do that you're like, that's really boring. That's where they lost the audience and too much talking about yourself. Yeah. And I'll, I'll move on. Right? I mean, that's just but I, how to grow is it's, it's yeah. research. That's normal. Mm-hmm. So I've seen you uh, speak on stage, I think at least twice first in Graphica Manila. And when you like laid out on the floor, I was like, oh my God, this guy, he's, he's doing it. He's, it's just like full commitment. And I was thinking maybe one day I'm going to be able to do that, but not yet. But I just love that you, you bring the theatrics and it's like, wow, okay, we're all going to just, we're going to be here. And then, then you did the Alanis Morissette bit on the couch and you used the room and the stage to your benefit. And I was like, shoot, I wasn't thinking like that. Adam's killing it right there. So, okay. You know, now I have to think about the stage. This just really comes down to our core differences. And I think for anyone listening too, it's like, we all see cool work or, or techniques that we like, uh, mm-hmm. but not everything fits into the nature of what we do. And so I'll see some like really beautiful sort of type stuff. Um, but that's not, I'm not really known for that anymore. Like I'm very illustrative, handwritten. Yeah that sort of thing. Um, And if I came out and gave a really sort of slick, fast paced, informative talk in the way that you do, I think everyone would be like, really? Like the the pink (laughs) memes guy is, is telling me, you know? So I think, I think there's so many ways to be inspired by things, but then also kind of like not know your lane, but just have an understanding of, of self and, uh, and what, what you're best suited to to sort of yeah. uh, convey or communicate in your own way. Like if right. you showed up there, just like the Chris, like stand up set, I yeah. do not know how that would go over. <laughs> like I would pay to see it, but that's because I'm an asshole. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see. When are it's we going on tour, dude? Right? Like I'm, I'm so I would love to. I, I, I would love to. I heard that you're think- speaking at, um, design thinkers in Vancouver. Yes. And I tried so hard to get poked. I was like, Hey, uh, I'll do this. Just, I know it's late last minute. Just, I wanted, I'll, they were like, no, it's too late. Why? What happened? Oh, it's too late. It's just too late. Yeah. Cause I just did their Toronto event. Um, but literally she said that you were speaking at it and I was like, me, me, put me on too. Yeah. So bummer. We have to coordinate our speaking schedule. I think we got to start selling it as a package deal. Like you're going to get a smart guy and a dumb guy and <laughs> you figure out who's who. <laughs> uh, that's good. I like that. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. Hey. 
Ben Burns from the future here. If you don't recognize my voice, you might know me from our YouTube channel as the friendly guy with the big beard. Yep, that's me. Listen, the future's mission is to teach a billion creatives how to make money doing what they love without feeling gross about it. And let's be honest, historically, we creative types are great at producing the work, but not so great at running the business, especially when it comes to things like sales, marketing, and money. I know, personally, I used to struggle with all of those. Now, fortunately for you though, we have a slew of courses and products designed specifically to help you run your business better. These are tools like the complete case study and the perfect proposal. These things are there to help you attract new clients and then wow them with a thorough and professional presentation. Now you can go even deeper with one of our business courses like project management, how to find clients and the intensive business bootcamp. Check out all of our courses and products about running a creative business by visiting thefuture.com slash business. Welcome back to our conversation with Adam JK. I mean, you see, so it's like, okay, so here's another thing I want to point out. So you like speaking and, and are you an extrovert or are you an introvert? I'm just curious. I'm a little bit of both. I don't okay, I, like an ambivert. I guess. I mean, I think I can be extroverted, but like, holy shit, when I'm not, I'm really not. I'm like, yeah. And it's hard when you're often extroverted and then you're not in the mood because everyone thinks that something's really wrong and people come yeah. up to you. And can you imagine like for anyone listening who is introverted, imagine like you're just doing your thing and every single person at the party is like, Hey man, you okay? You okay, man? Like, that probably happens to you once or twice, but for every single person to be like genuinely worried. Yeah. It's yeah. I, I'm really still learning about energy and, and emotional energy and how much I have and how much I can dedicate to any given thing. Cause after I do mm -hmm. a, a talk or after I do a talk and then like a book signing and a, all that stuff, I go back to the hotel room or I come back home and I am just wiped. Like, I like I just ran a marathon, which I've never, I, Google a picture of me. Uh, I'm not someone who runs marathons, but I, it feels like what I imagine it feels like. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, here's here's the thing. When when I'm in the audience and other speakers are speaking, and if I'm coming up that day, like I can't sit there. Like I'm too. I just I'm all messed up. Oh, I mean, I've seen you at breakfast. Like dude. Acid. <laughs> oh, dude. I just I, I can't eat. I mean, it's, yeah. it's messed up. Like seriously, and I'm just barely figuring this thing out. But if there's a couple of days in between, like you opened up, I think you open for Graphica, right? I open a lot because I think people know I'm going to be like the, like, let's wake up. Let's do this. Just explode. Yeah. And I love it because so I would be cool. anxious too. Yeah. Right. Then you can enjoy the rest of it, right? You can walk around. Hey, how's it going? I love your talk. Totally. But for me, it's like, I, I would love to to be last, but like a couple of days so that I can acclimate like this, this plant in a room. I, I just need to kind of figure out what's going on. Yeah. But I do like seeing speakers and... I, I, if I could be like you where I'm opening and then I could just chill, then I would learn a lot more. But sometimes I can't even be there because I'm still preparing. I'm still tweaking. Yeah. I'm still adding to it. I mean, listen, it's, it's not your fault, but you're a big deal. Like you're a headliner, so you're never going to get to open. <laughs> like, uh, sorry, you're literally too good. They, they have to put you last <laughs> to get the return on their investment. Like that's your cross to bear. 
Hey, um, I know what it is. We're going to do a package deal where book ends. Yeah. I mean, you explode with the energy and then I would just tie it up. That That's already happened. I feel like. Wouldn't that be cool? I feel like it happened twice. It's happened accidentally. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it, I, I think, think it just makes sense. I, I know I said this like 20 minutes ago, but like we really do represent two very different perspectives into the same message. The same message mm-hmm. of like, you have the power, you have access to tools, like you can learn, you can teach yourself, like it's okay that you didn't have the same, uh, that you weren't born into the same privilege or the same whatever environment that other people were. Um, we really are coming at that from from opposite ends. And so to me, it really makes a lot of sense that that we book mm-hmm. in conferences sometimes is because like we're, mm-hmm. we're both bringing this actionable, very realistic approach. Um, you know, maybe I'm a little bit more like emotional and personal and you are very sort of like skill, um, skill folk and like, and like professionally focused, like you're going to build and, uh, and you need that. I like that. I mean, I like that, uh, that it could be a mix and, and that our energies are similar, but different enough. So you get two very different flavors, but a similar kind of like, Hey, we're here to help. I hope that and I this, think that's really what we're trying to do, right? I think so. Uh, I was just thinking. Yeah. I hope this podcast doesn't sound like a forty-five minute pitch for like booking us at a conference. <laughs> like I'm a little <laughs> bit concerned for anyone listening. Okay, um, but All I right. this is. I'm not surprised that we're we're like that. I mean, I think I, I feel like we have a lot of respect for each other and and what each of you know what we do mm-hmm. based on our interactions. Um, and there is something very like like high school seniors, like graduation trip about the way that we've hung out. Cause it's always been <laughs> in literally other continents. And so yeah. there's this sense of like, it's us against everyone. Like we don't know anything. So we band together and maybe that's also it is that that's a really interesting way to get to know someone like away from mm-hmm. home, sort of on equal footing with like the same hotel setup, uh, the same like hard boiled eggs at breakfast. <laughs> Oh, I don't know what I'm saying anymore. Okay. Well, I have another question for you. Okay. Now, I I know that there's some sensitivity. Like, if you want to make a go at this public speaking thing and have that be a part of your career and how you define yourself, it becomes problematic when you have to write a new talk for every conference you go to. If you do half a dozen or a dozen a year, that's a lot of talks to write. And so when people record and distribute your talk, that creates this kind of uneasiness, at least for me, like, dude, I want to do the same talk again or make some refinements or tailor it a little bit. But I always feel very self-conscious that it's the same talk. What are your feelings on that? Nobody cares. That's, this is like a very Adam JK advice here, but like literally like nothing okay. matters and no one cares. So I, I have a couple talks right now. I have, I have like a 25 minute talk about perfection. I have a 45 minute talk about like sort of uh, creative empowerment and those are the two talks that I do. And they're always a little different mm-hmm. just because I'm kind of unhinged. But, you know, that 25-minute talk, that 99U talk, like you can watch it online um, and people have. And then and then I do it in real life. And they're like, oh, that was even better. Or, oh, I knew what that was going to be and it was still good. And so it's not actually your job to reinvent every time. And mm. I think that's part of why speaking is work is because you actually, you need to practice and you refine and yeah. you can't do that. It's like open mic. It's like comedians need to test out their jokes. And so the first time I give a talk, 
is so different than the 10th time because at that point I have sped up thing like punchlines that needed to come sooner or a case study that nobody liked uh, or, you know, put the thesis, like, you know, restate the thesis halfway through because people forgot, like, that's just how you grow. Um, but the truth is nobody cares. Like people are not paying so much attention to you that they're like, oh, Chris gave the same talk in April and June. That dude. No, just nobody <laughs> thinks that. But I will say, I will say for people who are listening yeah. to this podcast and are really interested in public speaking uh, as a part of their business and for brand building, really consider if that's what you want um, and why you want it. Because I think that public speaking often seems more glamorous than it might be. Uh, it seems like you are getting paid when very often you're not or you're getting an honorarium or you're getting a free trip to a place, um, which is cool. But then you don't do any client work for a week and a half. Um, cause you get sick on the flight home. Like I, Oh yeah. I would really caution people. Like people ask me like, Hey, I want to get into speaking. Like seems awesome. And like, you know, obviously it's working for you. And there's just so many pieces to it where more likely than not, if you just stayed home and, and worked, on what you already do, like you'd make more money and have more free time and be less stressed. So yeah, I think, I think that's like everything, but like really sort of questioning your motivation, um, try it out, you know, give a talk, um, if possible in, in your hometown or in your city, um, and see how it goes and see how it makes you feel. I talked to, um, uh, Aaron Draplin about this and he says, you know, people just want the hits, man. He's like, I want to change it, but they don't want me to change it. When you when you go and do your talk, they want you to do the bits. So here's the thing I think about, because he's got great delivery. You have even better delivery. And now I know why. It's because you've done it. You've polished it and you've tweaked it and you've removed things that don't work and you've added things and you keep doing it. So it's just, it's so refined. Whereas oftentimes, the time you see me do a talk, it's kind of the first time I've done that talk. Now I may use reuse components, but it's really like, that's why I'm on the edge all the time. Like, ah. Oh, What's going to happen here? And I, I remember this distinctly. I watched Simon Sinek do his, his talk and uh, I think start with why on, on the TED Talk platform. And then I see him do it somewhere else. And it was literally beat for beat, awkward pause for awkward pause, literally a carbon copy from beginning to end. Just as good, but it made me rethink like, oh my God, this thing that I thought was spontaneous, that was very <laughs> informal in its delivery was actually something that's been rehearsed, refined and perfected. And I just felt a little funny inside. So you said, nobody thinks that. Like, I'm the one weirdo in the crowd. It's like, oh, it is literally the same talk. Well, I think there's layers. So, you know, yeah. I give the same talk, but just by nature of how I, I'm spitballing or ad-libbing or whatever, like, it's always a little different. But with, a te right. with TED, and, you know, I've heard, I don't know TEDx because I think that varies based on the organization. But I know that when you give a TED talk, uh, a friend of mine gave one. You yeah. work with a TED coach and you mm -hmm. you basically memorize exactly what you're going to say and cannot deviate. And so you memorize right. it and then you sort of like unlearn it to make it natural. But at the point that you've gone through that and you've rehearsed it so many times, um, like, of course, you're going to do it again beat for beat because it's probably ingrained in your brain forever. Um, and to me, that makes sense because... TED is a very specific platform with specific, uh, a specific brief, specific deliverables. And that's absolutely mm -hmm. like a very clear example of how your talk is a product. 
And in the case of Ted, your talk is sort of like client work that is personal in nature, but is client work. Um, I think that especially for someone who might be more introverted um, and also someone who brings like a very professional energy and wants to fine tune and has that designer mindset, you should be giving the same talk multiple times. And it's not cheating. It's actually you're you're doing a better job. And so you're providing a, a better service to your audience. And so I almost feel mm-hmm. like it's a disservice to completely rewrite the talk every time because you're a little bit less certain and you can't just give like the best version of yourself that that you know you could give. Right. Mm. Like I don't I don't think okay. there's any shame in that, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I I realize that professional speakers do this and that I have to get over myself. And it's like one of these self-imposed rules that it's going to mess me up because I mean, it's band very plays, stressful for me. Bands play the same songs, you know, and stand-up right. comics, like they play the same jokes. And so yeah, public speaking is is also a version of that. It's like, how do you give the most effective, I mean... Even sermons are, are rehearsed. Like, you know, your your priest or pastor um, has more often than not like written out at least at least the core of what they're trying to say. So uh, to me, this, it's not super different. Yeah. Okay. Uh, talking about 2020, what is the one talk that you're most excited about? If, if you've been booked that far out, and, and I'm sure you have for some things. What are you most excited about? Okay, so Anything? I I feel a little guilty that we're we're speaking so much about the public speaking, but I am very excited about Off Conference in Barcelona. Oh, okay. it's a very cool conference, and I was booked there in 2017, and it was one of the first talks I ever gave. And mm-hmm. Off is very big. There's like 2,500 people come, and it's very cool at a cool museum with like a beer garden, and everyone looks like they're going to Warp Tour. It's very cool. And I got there and discovered that I was booked on the main stage, which I did not expect. Um, I thought that I was going to be in like the emerging artists tent, which is like a 200 person audience. So I spoke, I spoke to 1700 people and I was coming directly from a two week vacation in Japan. So I was like just super jet lag. Like I was basically a wreck. And I had a panic attack and I had to sit in a corner. I sat in a corner facing the wall and just like did deep breathing for 20 minutes. I listened to Michelle Branch's The Spirit Room. That's my album that like saves my life. And mm-hmm. and I gave my talk and I had a tech issue and the slides were displaying like two at a time. So it spoiled oh, no. all my punchlines. And no. people, people seemed to like the talk, but like it was embarrassing. And, and it wasn't as good as it should have been. And that was like my first introduction to this audience of people. And nobody knew who I was. You know what I mean? Like I was not, I, I don't think that I was like uh, a highly anticipated speaker. I think they just put me there because it was like, again, it was like the first talk of the first day. So I'm going back this year. I'm bringing all my own chargers and all my own cables and adapters and remote and like no tech issues and I, I feel like it's my redemption story. Like I'm, I'm ready. Nice. I'm ready to just like be victorious and then hang out in the beer garden. Nice. I love that. So two years later, three years later, yeah. you've, you've now done so many talks in between and it's your chance to like do the talk you were meant to do. Yeah. I love that. I feel like I'm just, wow. I'm going to give it everything I got. 
Yeah. Barcelona is a beautiful city too. So it's, I know. there's not, I'm excited to like stick to around and hang out. I, oh my goodness. It was such a quick trip because, you know, sometimes you go places and you don't have that much actual time to explore. So this time yes. I'm like, I'm booking out extra time to hang out. Mm-hmm. And you've been very smart about that. And you, you do kind of scheduling your, your travel so that you can do that. I, I, I need to take a page from, from your book on that because I'm in, I'm out. I'm like, I basically saw my hotel room and the conference room or the, the hall and that was about it. Yeah. It's hard. Sometimes yeah. I'm, I don't have that experience. Like I have absolutely like showed up and then left right away. And that can be a little bit mm-hmm. sad. Um, but definitely when we were in Australia, like that was a three week trip for me. I went to six cities. I toured like the whole country with, uh, Agda, which is their design or like professional design organization. And, mm-hmm. and it was like, it was a dream come true. And mm. Yeah, it's. I think it's important to try to to make it fun for you as well, because otherwise, all it is is like a lot of travel time, and you know you're risking your physical health for not a huge payout. Yeah. Um, other than you know, obviously the ego stroking, which can really help for some people. That is payment, <laughs> but I yeah. I found especially this I year, mean, I found that it's just not sustainable. Yeah. Uh, long term. How does that make you feel? Because uh, at TDC in, in Brisbane, we were sitting there and I saw you with your fans, mostly women, uh, kind of around you in the circle. And, and you you did some wonderful things. You're like, hey, you all need to connect with each other and, and get to know one another because this relationship can move on. How does it feel to to kind of have that attention? I mean, I think it's, I don't know. I A lot of, a lot of, the attention that I receive or a lot of the things that people like from me are sort of like my most basic, like quote work. Um, a lot of things that people love from me is just me stating, uh, like a very common or obvious piece of advice just in my own voice and sharing it. People love my books, but two of the books are, are journals. And so they don't become powerful until you fill them out. And so people will come up to me and they'll be like, your book changed my life. And what they really mean is, hey, I started journaling and I changed my life. And so sometimes it's mm-hmm. like they falsely attribute it to me. And even if they mean it super sincerely and they haven't like dissected that feeling that much, um, like I know in my heart that it's not actually really about me. And so, you know, I feel like I have this sort of sense of separation where I'm like, we're all just doing our thing. And if you're at the design conference, it's because you're good enough to be there, whether you know, you, you were able to afford a ticket or you work for a company that decided to send you, it's like, you're good and I'm not better than you. And, and most of the time I'm worse because I don't even know what like the cool fonts for 2020 are. I have no idea. I don't know where the, I don't know what the trend is now. So I feel like I have a healthy sense of separation about it. And, uh, just like Mm -hmm. a real understanding that what these events are at their core is an opportunity to meet other people who just get what you're about so that you don't have to start the conversation by explaining your profession. You can just dive right into like the friendship part. And, and I want everyone to have that experience of just being in a room full of people who understand what you do so that that doesn't have to be the thing that defines you. Mm. Well, I I think you're, you're, you're very gracious in the way you answer that questions, but I'm going to share a story that you're not going to probably hear anywhere else is that, Adam and I, we were at Graphica Manila, and part of their thing is 
they're truly fans who show up. And so they set up an autograph line for people who want to get stuff autographed. And they don't have a lot. So they're like, here's my program. Just or sign my name badge, whatever it is. And there was a moment here because I'm sitting right next to you. Mm. There's a woman, she comes up to you and you guys had a full like lockdown moment. You looked at each other and she just started bawling. And what she said, and uh, why don't I just keep cue you up for it? Do you remember this moment? Yeah, oh, I definitely do. I mean, I don't see. So it's like you're you're changing lives, dude, for real. It's not just like because you gave him a diary or journal to to write in. I mean, I think I think again, I don't want to be specific. I we're like Twitter friends now. Um, yeah, you know, I, in that particular moment, and and this is something that I speak to. I think in in my talks and in my work, it's. I think for a lot of creatives, there's this pressure to adopt a sort of safe persona um, that we think is going to like help us appeal to clients, but not alienate anyone to make us more palatable. And so you get a lot of people who are like, yeah, I love like the pen tool and whiskey and like late nights on the computer. But the second you start to get real, you have an opportunity to genuinely connect with someone. And so I remember when I was, when I was in Manila, I didn't know that in the Philippines, um, I didn't know that homophobia was quite as strong as it is. I didn't know how religious um, or, or how the religious elements there manifest. And that's, so I'm yeah. not saying that all religion hates queer people, but at least in popular culture there, there's a sense that like being gay is not okay. And so I didn't know to be afraid. So I just was being really open and just like being myself. And, and so that woman came over and and we talked about, what that feels like, what it feels like when you know who you are, but you're not allowed to be who you are, not because you're worried about alienating clients, but because your family can't accept it because your community can't accept it. And that's one of those things of like, I didn't know that I was being a role model. I was just being myself. But, but when we see people who are living their truth um, and there's a, there's a facet of them that we see in ourselves that can be really impactful. And yeah, when she cried, I just started crying. And then I was just sobbing. And you took that secret picture of me crying, which sounds creepy, but I'm actually really happy to have a photo of that moment. And yeah, yeah I, I'm happy she and I have connected on Twitter like in the years since. And I learned a lot. Hey, I know for everybody, everybody listening is like, it does sound super creepy, but you know, there's sometimes like when, when there's like a real genuine moment happening, it, I just like kind of, cinema verite i just wanted to grab that and give it to you and just respect privacy and all that stuff but if you just because the things that you do just owning your own truth can actually set people free because if somebody feels alone in the world and you say something to make them feel a little less alone or you give them hope or i mean people have dark days man and we're very privileged to live where we live and to do what we do and and have people pay us money to, to say and write silly things that's, that is a privilege. And so when you touch people like that, I think those people who surround you and talk to you, they're just sharing some of the energy that they've gotten from you back at you. And I, I just wanted to get your perspective on it. And I think you're being very, very humble in the way you you paint that picture. But I've seen it. I, I watch, you know, I'm looking at people I'm like, wow, he's really touching people. I think people, and I love that. I think people are just people. And, uh, yeah, people just want to connect. Everyone's like a little bit terrified and different people are open in different ways. And, you know, because of the nature of what my work is like, 
and this sort of creative context that I've built in my body of work and my books and products and social media output for literally a decade, like I've built myself a really safe space that now I get to live in. And it wasn't always 100% intentional, but looking back, like it is not surprising that I created the things in my life that I needed, uh, that I needed to have. I needed to feel safe and supported. I needed reminders that it's okay to be not feeling your best because mental health is an ongoing challenge for me. And because, you know, I am a queer person who comes from a religious background. Like I made the things that I needed with what I had. And, and very often that was just pencil, pencil and paper. Um, yeah. And that's, to me, that's what things are, what you make of them means. That's, that's why I called the book that is like, even if you don't read the book, like, please take this mantra and hold on to it. Um, use the tools that you have to save yourself, whatever that means, whether that's, you know, by creating a job when you didn't have one, you know, whether it's, it's literal like that, you just need money, uh, or making something that just makes you feel a little bit more okay, because life is hard. That's just, that's true. Uh, Mm -hmm. but, but it, it's not all bad. Can we take a minute here to talk a a little bit about the business of Adam Kurtz, Adam JK? Yeah. Like, how do you sustain yourself? Do you do client work? Is it in book royalties? Is it in speaking fees? How do you sustain yourself? Uh, It's a little bit of everything. And I think this is like a very Mm -hmm. sort of 2019, 2020. I think a lot of people can relate to this, right? Um, Having these multiple income streams. So for me, originally it was salary. You know, I was was working in-house as a designer in different places while also having my online shop where I was making zines or pins um, or my annual calendars. Uh, I do this planner called Unsolicited Advice every year. And that led to a book deal. And so I still had a day job in advertising, but then I made this book one page at a time. And I got an advance of 15 grand, which was like the most money I had ever had in my entire life. Like I could not believe it. Um, And that book came out and then sold and continued to sell and was like just kind of a surprise hit. And it it sold like a half million copies worldwide now. And so, you know, very often you get a book advance and like, you don't sell out that advance for a long time, but I sold out that advance super fast. And that book has made quite a bit of money over the last five years. Um, And so I have book royalties and I have my online shop, which, you know, continues to grow as I get better at what I do. You know, when I, when I got fired from my job, I had more time to invest in building my brand in in developing new products in, in that sort of thing. Um, I do also make money from public speaking now, but that wasn't real money until literally this year, uh, because I did a lot of speaking in exchange for the trip, um, or a lot of speaking, you know, for people that told me like, Oh, it's good exposure, which Quick sidebar, I feel like as creatives, like we're really, we understand, like we got to value our work, right? But then when it comes to creatives doing public speaking, we like lose our brain and we're like, oh, it's an honor. So it's free. <laughs> and and I understand right. that impulse because I felt it too. But then I had this moment of like, oh, if this was a normal client telling me they love my work and they wanted, they wanted me to work for free, I wouldn't say yes uh, most of the time. So why am I saying yes? So it wasn't until this year um, that that started becoming like a decent amount of money where I felt like it's worth all the travel and not doing client work and whatever. Um, I do still do client work, which 
Oh, you I do. think people might be surprised. Um, yeah, I'm a surprise. Yeah. All right. So some, I mean, for okay. me, and and maybe this is like a next question too. But for me, client work takes on multiple forms. Where sometimes a client wants me to do something um, for them, and so I'm not necessarily sharing it or attached to it. But more often than not now, when a client comes to me, it's because they want a public-facing collaboration with Adam J. Kurtz or, or the Adam J.K. brand. And so it'll be yeah. like Adam J.K. for Doc Martens or Adam J.K. X collab with Chronicle Books. Um, and so as a result, like I have more creative control, but then I do also have like an advance or a royalty structure or like a flat rate up front as opposed to me releasing my own products. Um, and then there's the sort of social media influencer side of things where sometimes they're hiring me to do original creative, but then also post it as a paid, paid partnership or a paid ad on Instagram because they want to tap into my creative voice, but also my audience of people who trust me, um, or believe in what I have to say, or, or just, you know, are following me already. Um, and so that's sort of like creative plus and all of this combines into uh, a sustainable uh, amount of money where I'm able to live but then also save for the future because I think the bottom's going to fall out of this probably in the next five years um, and also you know trying to just do you, have a nice do you life. really believe that yeah oh yeah Really? Yeah, I think it. I think it's totally naive. It would be totally naive for me to be like, yeah, I'll get free money. What feels like free money to to speak about myself or free right. money to like post on Instagram like a thing I made for a credit card company? Like, I I don't know. I don't always know if I'll make another book. Um, mm. I guess the secret is that I just sold a new book, so I'll be writing that <laughs> for the next year and a half. Um, but it same publisher, same publisher. Yeah. But, but they've been waiting for a new pitch for two and a half years. And I literally had this moment of like, maybe I've said what I need to say and I'm done saying it in this format. Like there was a very real feeling of like, I've made two journals. I did an essay collection. I do stationary, but like, maybe I'm done with long form writing. I don't know. So I, I don't know what's to come, but definitely I'm doing a lot of different pieces so that hopefully there will always mm. be at least one path open. And uh, mm. I think we can, we can all kind of relate to that. And if all yeah. of this, if all of this ends, like I'll just, I think probably go back to advertising. I, I love, do you think that's, that's a possibility that it's all going to end? I don't think it would all end, but I think I would reach a time when I was like, okay, I could really continue to push and fight to keep doing the thing that I do. Or, I could go and use my skill set and creative thinking, problem solving, and you know, ability to facilitate collaboration, blah, blah, blah. I could use all those skills to work on something bigger than myself. Like imagine mm-hmm. you have all these skills and you've been, you know, your own boss for a long time, but then you have the opportunity to like go work on the political campaign of a presidential candidate or go work for an amazing nonprofit that you believe in. Or Go work for an ad agency that represents like one of the biggest brands in the world. And suddenly you've got like multi-million dollar budgets to work with. And you're hiring like your favorite rock star as like the campaign talent. Like 
there's so many cool things that we can do with our skill set. And so right now it is very like I'm using what I've got, which is pencil, paper, you know, simpler tools, but it would be pretty fucking awesome to have access to like being part of a team of 300 people with like, I mean, can you imagine like being the lead creative on like a Super Bowl halftime show and that's your mm-hmm. art? Like that's mm-hmm. crazy. And that's not my specific dream, but for someone that's a dream and that's, that's a year or more of planning. And right. So there's just so many things I think that that are possible that that any of us can do, and it's really exciting to to be open to the possibility and to not feel like I mean I'm 31 years old like I don't want to feel like I've got it figured out because it's that's too soon to have it figured out you know what I mean I've I've got to be alive for I don't know at least another 30 years probably more I sound bummed out about that but. That's because it seems exhausting. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you don't have it all figured out at the ripe old age of 31 because I got 16 years on you. So I, w- I was like, okay, I'm going to throw myself off. Yeah, but now. you look so young. Um, it's those jeans. <laughs> well, thank you. Hey, so I asked Aaron Draplin this exact same Who's question. Aaron and his answer kinda... I keep hearing that name around. Aaron, the big Draplin. guy with the beard. No, I'm, I'm kidding. The Sorry, big guy I'm with the beard. <laughs> but you know, I asked him like, if you had to break it down percentage wise, where's the biggest source of your income? Is it coming from the merch, the books, social, public speaking? Mm, probably um, I wrote from some other things down here. Probably from my. Um, so, in addition to everything that I do, I have a side yeah. hustle. This brand called Field Notes, and we produce these sort of three by five <laughs> notebooks that are really popular. You're the, that's you. Yeah, huh? okay. I'm the field notes guy. So I that's, see. <laughs> that's been a real income generator. That's genius. Yeah. I Good also job. created this shoe brand called Nike. Um, a lot of people call it Nike. <laughs> that's wrong. No, uh, I don't know. I think if I had to break it down, it's probably like 20 percent royalties um because those have been dropping off the books the one page at a time has yeah. been out for five years okay probably like 20 percent royalties 30 yeah. percent uh-huh. online shop and then okay i don't know 20 percent collaborations 15 percent yeah. public speaking 15 percent like paid social media advertising and client work Oh yeah, I guess client work I'm lumping into collaborations and social because I see. I see. Each one of those structures is different, but very often like I see. You get a strategy brief and then you're like concepting on that. Yeah. yeah. But please like yeah, nobody do you- a pie chart on that because I'm not even sure if that adds up to a hundred. <laughs> I'm not I'm not, so don't don't worry <laughs> about it. I'm just trying to figure it out. So most of it comes from merch then? A lot of it comes from my own shop where I'm selling pins for like eight to $10. I'm selling my own Mm -hmm. planners. And that can be really scary because it's small amounts of money at a time. And then you have to mail it out and stuff gets a lot. Like it's actually a lot of work. I could definitely be smarter and make more money Mm -hmm. while working less hard. But I love being able to make a real tangible thing in physical space and send it to someone. And so for mm-hmm. me, like, I don't want to say this is so de- definitive, but like, I feel like I will never, never make a Patreon or I will never ask people to just give me money um, because they like what I do without getting something in return, something like really uh, 
tactile in some way. I guess as I'm saying this, I'm like, no, there's so many structures where that makes sense for digital content, um, for online learning. I literally have a Skillshare yeah. course. I'm just realizing that. See, I told you at the beginning of this, sometimes I, I think <laughs> out loud uh, in conversation. <laughs> no, I, I just really like having the shop and being able to make a $10 pin that you can afford and you can wear it every day and it just makes you happy. I think that's it. Yeah. Is I'm very obsessed with like why people give gifts and like, why do I have a keychain that my grandma gave me when I was 11? Why do I still have that? And I'll never get rid of it. And it probably costs $10, but to me it's priceless. And so I'm really interested in that. And I try to make these, these items, these simple souvenirs that can take on this emotional value um, through gifting. Mm-hmm. So I love, I really mm-hmm. like doing it. And, and I think that people also know that when they shop from my website, shop.adamjk.com, they know that they're supporting me, like <laughs> one real person <laughs> in the world who right. makes a lot of yeah. stuff. And, and it, it's, it feels personal. I think, I think people get that. Yeah. I, I think people enjoy the, your thoughts, your musings, the design, uh, your humor, your, sometimes your darkness and they want to give back. And I think that's just the law of reciprocity at play. And for some people, they need to get something back for their money. So if they, they contribute to a Patreon or something like that, they might feel like, uh, everybody gets this stuff for free. So why should I pay? But to give them a pin, it's like, the pin doesn't have a ton of meaning to them, except for the fact that they're supporting you. And it feels like, yeah, now that now they they put their like things are what you make of them, they put the meaning into that pin. Yeah. To, to say to like be you completely know, I, honest, I am able to support. To be completely yeah. honest, I don't think people are like buying things just to give me money, but I feel like there's definitely a sense of like, uh, like if I bought this on Amazon, it would be cheaper, but like I'd rather buy it from him. So there are like smaller ways where like the shopping habits are maybe motivated by that. But I also, I think that I'm making, I'm making things that people connect with um, for the same reason that they're connecting with like the digital content that's on Instagram. And some of the pins in my shop, like they were Instagram posts first. And if you get 10 comments that say, make this a pin, you got to do it. That's what they want. So, (laughs) So, you know, sometimes I'm just like, nah, I don't, I don't want to, or like, this isn't, this was a moment yeah. in time, but I don't feel like that every day. But like I made a little heart that mm-hmm. says nothing matters. And so many people saw that post and they were like, make this a pin. And now you can get that as a pin, as a patch. You can get it as an embroidered hoodie. Uh, I did a stress ball version of that. Like, like sometimes people tell you what they want and you it forces you to look at your own work again with fresh eyes. And you realize like, oh, yeah. like I was in a bad mood, but but actually I tapped into something that feels really true. That's, mm. I mean, that's the fun part I, about social media is like, yeah. sometimes it is actually social and, and people are in there talking to you and being respectful enough, but then also giving you feedback and, um, critique. I've gotten, I've gotten a lot of critique. I've been maybe not called out like in the call out way, but, but definitely I've been held accountable before in ways that I think are really valuable and important. So I, mm. I really appreciate the whole dialogue. And I don't think that what I do would work nearly as well without the context that the internet has provided. Like, I don't know that, that my thing can exist fully detached from me. Cause if, if, yeah. the, if I wasn't here, like I would just be whatever, some that you saw at urban outfitters. 
I'm, I'm writing notes here. I'm trying to keep up with you. Sorry, I'm just which is, fucking a mile a minute over no, here. No, no. I, I, I love it. Is that you, and I'm, I'm trying to learn from you here, is that you You really know how to tap into your feelings and express them. And when you said like you made something and you touched a nerve and 100,000 other people felt the same way, that's kind of cool. That's really neat that you can put your finger on it for yourself and just like look up and like, wait, there's a 1,000, 100,000 or 10,000 people that feel the same way. And that is art, right? You have that feeling. Yeah. And you communicate that feeling through a thing and then people feel the same thing. And you're really good at that. It surprised me when you said people called you out or held you accountable for some of the things and, and you thought that was good. Can you give us an example of what that was and how you interpret yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, this is like a very specific example, but I, you yeah. know, as an author, um, Amazon has really affected the publishing industry which that's, I'm just stating a fact, I think everyone would understand. And so for me as an author, you know, Penguin sells a lot of the books through Amazon. And that's a really important um, sales venue for for books and and for everything else. And so on Amazon Prime Day of this year, I posted, you know, Amazon did a discount for all books. And I posted it. I was like, hey, everyone, like now's a great opportunity to purchase my books at a discount if this makes it more accessible to you with, you know, the free shipping and $5 off. And I got a lot of feedback that was like, hey, Adam, um, people are doing this sort of digital protest of Amazon. On Prime Day, we're boycotting Amazon Prime. On Prime Day, we're we're thinking about the warehouse, warehouse employees and the last mile, oh. um, you know, delivery folks. And you posting about this is you're, you're stepping over the picket line and, and they were right. You know what I mean? Like people were, were literally right. And I had this perspective of like, well, I'm not telling you, you have to do it. I'm just saying that you could. And then people were like, yeah, that's exactly what everyone in your position would say. And I, I shop on Amazon and a lot of my items are available on Amazon and for, for many people, that is an opportunity to get things at the most affordable, the most accessible. There are so many reasons why people get things delivered to their door um, because it helps them in their life, because they have limited mobility, because they don't have a car and they live in right. New York and they need 48 rolls of toilet paper based on a true story. But but on that day specifically, my my core audience was like, Adam, you are usually more thoughtful than this. And... And it was just, it was enough people that I was like, you are right. And I edited the post mm. and I took that info out and it definitely probably, I mean, I, it cost me some sales. I'm sure, you know, those royalties do add up, but, but at least on that day I could, I could avoid participating in, in something. And, uh, that's a learning process. I'm always, you know, I think in 2019, mm. like it, there's no longer space for people to be apolitical. And, you know, I think because of the nature of what I do, where I'm, I'm very vulnerable and, and very open. And, you know, a lot of people call me authentic or put that label on me. Part, part of being someone who represents authenticity is being someone who's open to feedback and, and open to processing that feedback. And that's not every time. There are definitely comments that I get where I just, I got to ignore them. Um, people yeah. who I feel are overstepping or expecting a lot of free emotional labor from me. But, but that was mm-hmm. a case where it was like, there was a lot there and, and I couldn't in a good conscience disagree. 
And so yeah. I had to respond and I, I appreciated that people were receptive to that. And then, you know, then patting me on the back for doing the right thing, which I shouldn't need, but it, it helped me feel confident that I had done the right thing. Yeah. That was a great example, by the way. It really was. I mean, part of me is like, do I want to talk about this? Like on the record, you know, on a podcast that exists on the internet forever, but, but that really happened. And, uh, and it was an important lesson for me. And it doesn't mean that I control, I mean, my stuff is still on Amazon. I'm an Amazon affiliate. Like I make money off of that. Um, but on that day, you know, yeah, there, there are lots of small ways that we can make small changes, uh, and th- that's important, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I-, I think that's the the thing that you 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 bring to the table, and that that you're an artist, that you're a human being, that you're a writer, and you're a creative person. But you also you got to make money to survive, and finding the comfortable or dis- uh, the uncomfortable, and just figuring out where you fit in the world. Some people are in a position where they can take the high ground and not have to worry about money for whatever reasons. They can yeah. do that, and that's totally. And some okay. people go the other way. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay too. Right. Some people go the other way, which is like, I can't eat. I have to take, there's no high ground. I just have to eat. Yeah. And that's okay too. So there's a whole spectrum here. And I I just think that everybody's allowed to pick their lane. And I think what they were saying to you is from a consistency point of view, this is who we see you as. And then you either have to say, I agree with you or disagree. And sometimes you're going to disagree. Yeah, That's a a really good way to put it. Um, it was absolutely about consistency and sort of the extended context of who I am. And so it wasn't like mm-hmm. out of nowhere that people were just without knowing anything about me, putting that on me. It really was like, we have a sense of who you are and where you're at in life. So we can say this. And uh, yeah, I agree that everyone, everyone in life has been dealt a different, you know, a different hand and yeah, we can't, fault anyone for that in any direction it's you you do get what you get and then it's up to you to you know right. make the most of what you've got mm-hmm. is that the title for your next book no <laughs> that's that's just me <laughs> paraphrasing the last title i feel like um, yeah no i i'm really hesitant um, to say anything about this new book because it is a scary one for me and so maybe a year from now oh. i'll be able to speak about yeah i'm i'm in the scary part of, of the process. Okay. I yeah. see. Um, well, I, I want to ask you one more question before we go here. The question is this, it's like, okay, you're, you're a public person. And so to a degree you get to have the benefits and you also have some of the disadvantages, which is people taking ownership of who they think the Adam JK brand is. And you give us an example where you, you, uh, upon reflection, you're like, you're, you're right. I can be more thoughtful and there's some context and some sensitivity I need to be aware of. But where have they gotten it wrong? And you're like, no, I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to listen to that. That's insane. Can you give me an example of that? I mean, I don't know about it being insane, or but but one example is that people people are like, oh, Adam J.K. He writes words. He handwrites the words. That's what an Adam J.K. is. And so I was working on a creative project that incorporated type and and handwriting, and the feedback was, mm-hmm. oh, that's that's not what you do. That doesn't look like you. And I was just like, it's, it's me. Those are my words. That's my voice. Like, of course it's me. And so I really feel like anything I make is an Adam JK, just like anything you make is a crit. Like, you know, you're the glue. I think that each of us, we're the the glue that unites our body of work. Um, So it's been weird having people be like, well, 
you've done this for the last three years. So this is all you do. And it's like, no, nah, up until like 2015, none of my stuff looked like this. And, and I've had so many different sort of like, not wildly different aesthetics, but, but different enough. Um, yeah. That's the weirdest thing is when someone tells you what your own work looks like. Right. That's, I mean, people want to pitch it, but you know what, this, this applies to all creative disciplines, like mm-hmm. musicians, you know, you want them to just play the first single over and over and, uh, you know, actors and actresses get typecast. Like, yeah, I guess that it just happens. And it's a product of, of making something at scale that, that people feel emotionally connected to. So it's, uh, I guess something I'm, I'm grappling with and it's a great yeah. problem to have. I'm like, I'm glad that people know anything about me and feel passionate about my work, but, uh, mm-hmm. I definitely can't continue to just execute the same thing over and over for those people. Cause that's not sustainable for a creative practice, a professional practice, personal growth, any of it. Yeah. And the reason why I ask is because sometimes I don't take the high road and I, I should, and I shouldn't respond and I shouldn't play into it, but I'm a, I'm a human being. I have emotions too. And there's this thing, like I put it out there, like I'm trying to educate a billion people on earth. Right. So that's my mission. But anytime I say, you know, I, I think it would be nice for conference organizers to pay me this dollar amount for speaking. People just freak the F out. They're like, how could you stand? What are you saying? Uh, I, I thought you, this goes against your mission. Like, dude, do you, how could you tell me what my mission is? Like, I know my mission. I know how to get there. Like, I wouldn't put out one mission and then act in, inconsistently with that. But my mission is help to teach creative people how to make money. And so if I'm going to go and do a, a talk because they're either bad business people or they undervalue the people that do the work, which are, are the speakers, then I'm going to fight for that. That's consistent with who I am. But then they're, but then you're denying us the ability to see you. Well, you don't understand. See, that's the leverage that they're going to have. And that's why you just said earlier, we kind of lose our minds when people ask us to do a public uh, uh, do a public talk and we speak and we'll do it for free. Yeah. Like what? I mean, listen, you do it for free, you know, once or twice. And then very quickly it becomes clear that that's not sustainable. And I didn't no, think critically clearly. about this until I spoke at a conference with a number of very established speakers and it wasn't strictly like a design conference. And after my talk, mm-hmm. a woman came up to me, she was one of the other speakers and she said like, this is the best talk from a white dude I've ever seen. And I was like, okay, thank you. Inside, I was like jumping for joy. And then she was like, she was <laughs> like, I think that you could really be doing this. Let's connect. And she emailed me her speaking deck and all her info and like how much money she makes per talk. And it was like, like for one talk, she was making like my first, my starting salary when I was like an emerging designer. And it really shook me up. What? Yeah, she... How much was that? She was getting as much as 30K for one talk. And I was like, wow. I was like, shit. Like, I didn't know that there's a world like that. And a lot of it has to do with how established you are, the type of space you navigate. I think private gigs, especially in like uh, like huge corporate, you know, space. There's there's a lot of nuance here, but but to have someone be like, you are that good, but here's Mm -hmm. what you could be getting paid for the same work. That, that really blew my mind. Um, I do have a specific example, though, of like different feedback. And, and I'm not sharing it because it's, it's sort of crazy. 
But I did have someone send a very long email that was highly personal um, because I share so much. And they had just a lot of opinions and a lot of feelings. And they made a really like sort of compelling argument that I almost believed, except then I remembered that like they don't know me and I don't owe them anything. You know what I mean? Like it was so impassioned that I was almost like convinced. And then I had to be like, wait, full stop. Like it's not okay to ever email anyone an email like this, which tells me that everything that they have to say is on like shaky ground. You know what I mean? It was, it really rattled me. So there, there wait, wait, are wait. moments. Holy, I'm, I'm missing some information here. I, I think you're skipping over the essential parts yeah. of the story. Like somebody sent you a very personal, like yeah, you, I, I, really I can't just, figure it out. I, I can't figure ahead. out the story. Uh, yeah. I, it was more, yeah. Can we it get was a little more bit like of it? a personal attack, like about something, something about you, okay. me and like the way I live my life and just like what they perceived as a, a very specific slight where they thought that I was like, I guess I shouldn't, I shouldn't say it if I'm not going to like really say it. I have this thing about me. It's very Libra where like I love gossip, but then I also like will hold back all the identifying details and the key players <laughs> because I like want to preserve like, you know, privacy and yeah. respect. Uh, keeping the balance over here. But yeah. Why don't you say it and we can edit it out if you no, don't like I, it. I can't even say it. I just shouldn't. You can't even I'll say just, it? I will just say okay. that like this isn't a, this isn't a professional okay. thing. This is a personal thing where when you yeah. share of your, your personal self on the internet, there will be people who overstep and there will be people who feel like they really know you. And as a result, yeah. they feel comfortable saying to you that like only a close friend is allowed to say, um, or, or a family right. member is allowed to say like your mom's allowed to nag you about your haircut. That's allowed. But like a stranger right. is not allowed to email you and be like, cut your hair, you hippie, which that's right. not what happened. But yeah, there's people overstep. <laughs> That, that's a thing. <laughs> that's that's the message. People overstep. They take ownership of who they think you should be. And for half a second that you listen to it, right? Yeah. You're like, wait. Because we're still people. Like, no. Like, no. It's, yeah, listen, I we, know. Words right. have power. And then you have to remember like, oh, okay. But like, let me consider the source. Okay. I'm going to un unlearn this. It's like, I've read, like, yeah. I read like a really, really rough Amazon review of one of my books. And it rattled me to my core. Someone just like ripped me a someone hated my book so much and oh, no. and they were like i want my money back like this bad stand-up comic nonsense wow. like post-it note bull wow and it really me up and yeah. then i just replied and i was like what's your memo like you want your ten dollars back like i had oh. this moment of like shit like i i don't work for am like i can't refund you on amazon but like i'll venmo you ten dollars right. if you like take the personal attacks right. out of this review uh, and right. That okay. person, of course, never replied because it's so easy to be a dick and it's really hard to actually respect someone. Uh, yeah. Anyway, the internet's overwhelmingly wow. good, but I do have, uh, <laughs> sometimes I have a thin skin. I'm pretty insecure yeah. as a person and uh, mm. I'm, I'm hoping that I'll keep growing. Well, I I'm glad you shared that. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm bracing for impact myself. I mean, no, really, I am. I'm bracing for impact because I'm. I just finished my first book. And I think it's garbage, and it's like people are like, "Well, where's the book?" I'm like, "It's, it's, it'll be shipped to you." Doesn't this matter. Week. Doesn't matter. If I'm it's like, garbage. Oh, here comes the feedback. The feedback is coming. People just like yeah, books so as objects. I'll, you know what? You could write a fucking yeah. just a steaming turd of a book <laughs> as long as the cover looks good on like the you know table in the Instagram of the morning yeah. coffee. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's let's not make yeah. bad well, work, but but you can, and also get away yeah. with it. That's pop culture. <laughs> That's literally pop culture, right? 
right? Nothing matters. That's the core okay. takeaway. Nothing matters. All right. This has been a really <laughs> super fun conversation. I, I'm glad you indulged me and just like got like just got really super deep with you in terms of the We didn't the even whole talk about death Chris. Sometimes on these podcasts. I did a podcast and we go to death. I did a podcast where I like described a very specific fear of like how a barber was going to murder me. And Grace Bonnie from Design Sponge cut like 15 minutes out. It was just like me going on and on about dying, bleeding out. <laughs> like, I love to get, I love to get real. I, if I trust you, like we're in. And the fact that this is recorded, like yeah. I'll never listen to this. So no sweat off my back. <laughs> I, that's a healthy attitude, man. I don't know you if it's do healthy. It it's gonna bite to me in the don't ass in twenty it. years. No, that's why. I, that's it's why good. I gotta get a it's new good. job. Is because I'm gonna cancel myself one of these days. <laughs> uh, you're great. Okay. Thanks for having okay. me on this podcast. Uh, Thank I you. have a lot of Thank respect you. for for what you do, and uh, and I love that we can just be big frenemies forever, BFFs. Yes. Yes. And I'm looking forward to the next time we accidentally, not accidentally run into each other at the next conference. And, uh, you know, I'll be paying very careful attention at what you're doing. I'll make sure to just paraphrase all of your uh, Instagram carousels. I'm just going to show your Instagram. (laughs) I'm going to write an entire talk around your Instagram. (laughs) Just wait. (laughs) Okay. I want to say this. I want to say this before we go. A big heartfelt just well-deserved congratulations to you. I know people don't know this um, probably, but you were voted as the the crowd, the audience favorite choice at the Design oh God, Conference Chris, you're the so only person who cares about this. I, I, I care. And I you know, know what? You I have care. to say. I, have, I know. I care a lot. Honestly, and, when I, <laughs> so I just want to say congrats, When man. I won that thing, I was like, oh man, yeah. Chris should have this. I wasn't even there. I wasn't point, either. So I was really in the hotel. <laughs> I wasn't even there. They gave it to me later. It's a block of wood that says like best talk. Oh, so no, beautiful. That's, that's good not job, a real man. Thing. Good job. No, you know, there were so many good speakers there. there. It Actually, was, that was, was really probably, well stacked. Probably one of the just, yes, it was. Uh, I, I'm not saying this just because the two of us were it there. It was but a good. There were some really great speakers yeah. that really brought that performance game to their talk. And and anybody who who would win that honor, I just like hats off, man. No, nah, the best off. speaker of so that conference, Tia Glow, Tia Glow from the Google Creative Lab in Sydney. She, was awesome. she is. Yes, I've seen her speak before. She is the real deal. Like Chris, like compared to her, mm. like you and I are just assholes. Like we don't, we have nothing. <laughs> She's really. Sometimes you're in the presence yes. of of someone who just like mm. gets it on another level, man. Well, thanks for saying yeah. that. Um, it does make me feel more somewhat more confident in my ability uh, as a speaker, as a person. <laughs> I think you should just come on stage with that block. Like, yeah, I know. What up? Just throw that block up One in the like, at a conference <laughs> I just want to let you know. in Australia. I feel like nobody in <laughs> yeah. America gives If you a- feel so compelled, <laughs> you know, like if you still, if you feel so compelled, go ahead and vote for me this time again. It could happen. You know, I'm just letting you know what happened oh, last time man. is all. Just send a precedent. Just do it. Just wear uh, wear that as a neck chain. Honestly, I would rather just, just have it. one million dollars. <laughs> let me let me have some stability in my life. I'm like, yeah, renting like a trash apartment in in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. <laughs> like at any moment, our landlord might just jump our rent and like upheave my entire life. Like, oh, uh, it's so funny though. I mean, I know we're ending, but like, it is really funny the the way. 
we each get to define success for ourselves and how everyone's definition is like so different. Cause I definitely yeah. have, I remember a while ago I was like, when I get a quarter million Instagram followers, like that's it. Like I've made it. And then I, you know, I got mm-hmm. it and I was like, Oh, I'm still fucking depressed. Like my problems haven't gone away. Why did I think this mattered? Um, same with like, you know, when I, when I finally had a pitch for this brand new book, sold this book through um, and got the advance that I wanted that I really pushed for. And I, I got that news and then I was like, ah, okay. And so I think it's, uh, it just never ends and success is, uh, it's just not a real single tangible goal. And that's pretty cool, but it is also stressful. My name's Adam J. Kurtz, and you are listening to The Future. Thanks so much for joining us in this episode. If you're new to The Future and want to know more about our educational mission, visit thefuture.com. You'll find way more podcast episodes, hundreds of YouTube videos, and a growing collection of online courses and tools covering design and business. Oh, and we spell the future with no E. The Future Podcast is hosted by Christo and produced by me, Greg Gunn. This episode was edited and mixed by Stuart Schuster with intro music by Adam Sanborn. If you enjoyed this episode, then do us a favor by giving us a rating and a comment on iTunes. It's a big help in getting the future message out there, and it makes us feel good, too. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next time. Thank you.